0: This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for Egedet Hachuva, the Epistle on Repentance, is provided by Isaac, son of Devorah Mindel.
1: Lessons in Tanya the Tanya of Rabbi Schneur Zalman
0: of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: Chapter 6. So, the last two chapters, he was trying to answer the question, why is it that a person who sinned, and the Torah says that if you sin, a certain sin, and the pen- penalty is karis, your soul is cut off. And yet we find that they were able to live past 50, past 60, and not only live, but live a sweet life, and a very beautiful life, a tranquil life, when the Torah says you're cut off. So first he says to understand, to understand this, first you have to understand the whole concept, of your soul being cut off, that a person dies as a result of sin. Which is a pretty mind-boggling concept. What does physical life have to do with sin? To say that because you sin, it's not a punishment that God is punishing you. If you do this, oh, I'm gonna get back at you. That's not the idea of curse The idea of curse when the Torah says your soul will be cut off, it's not a punishment. If you sin, you're going to die in a car accident. You're going to get killed. You're going to get mugged. That's not what the Torah says. The Torah says that if you sin as a natural consequence, you will die. You simply will die. You can't live. You physically cannot live as a result of your sin. Which is an astounding, miraculous concept. because for a Jew the body and the soul the physical, the material and the spiritual there's no division between the material and the spiritual because what is our life all about? what is the inner content of our life? the inner content of our life it says in the Torah God breathed into our nostrils so our life is God's breath the breath of life that is our life force that's what animates us that's what sustains us And therefore, when a person does the slightest sin, it creates a barrier. When you blow, it doesn't matter if you put a thick door, or if you put a paper, a thin piece of paper, the breath can no longer flow. So you've obstructed the breath of life, the flow of the breath of life. But then there's another analogy that he explains, that... The Jewish people are compared to a rope. Our connection. When the soul enters into the body, it's still linked to its root, to its source, by way of a rope. And this rope is made up of 613 mitzvot. Every time you do a mitzvah, you strengthen that connection. What happens when you sin? You sever a strand. You've weakened that link. But when you do a sin where the Torah says, Karas, you cut off, it's like you've severed the whole rope. Yes?
0: Yeah. Excuse me. Is the 613 strands of the rope, the 613 mitzvahs? is that connected to the, the tzitzis? 613...
1: Okay. Tzitzis it reminds us of the 613 mitzvot. Correct. Very good. Because the Word itself... Tzitzis is numerical value of 600. Then you have the eight strings. Mm-hmm. And then you have the five knots. So together, that's 613. So this is the uniform that reminds us, when you look at the tzitzis, it reminds you of keeping all 613 mitzvot. Correct.
0: You look at the
1: what? When you look at the tzitzis, at the fringes, oh. on the four cornered garments that we wear, it reminds it's you, of, it's our uniform, like a talit. Talit is a big form, and this is... We were a small form. 613 mitzvahs. Yes, it reminds us. But when it says in the Torah that God breathed into his nostrils, not only the source of the soul, the origin of the soul is God's breath, is the divine. But even when the soul interfaces and enters into the body, Even there, ultimately, it's divine. It comes from the inner part of speech. It's connected to the inner aspect of speech. That's why the Torah uses the idea of breath, which comes from within. So, therefore, our physical health and well-being is entirely dependent on our spiritual health and well-being. For a Jew, our physical health and well-being is tied in with our spiritual health alone. And for the Jewish people as a whole, that's true even today. What guarantees the survival of the Jewish people? Our spiritual health and well-being. The more alive we are as Jews, the more Jewish we are, the more connected we are, the more conscious and vibrant our connection, the healthier our connection, the more overt, the more genuine, the more authentic, the deeper the more alive we are. It's the only thing that guarantees our physical survival. You look at every Jew that's alive today, every last Jew, it can be radically left-wing, self-hating, doesn't matter. Every single Jew that's alive today, all 14 million, every last one has a grandparent, a great-grandparent, great-great-grandparent that was observant. It was observant without any interruption for 3,800 years. Because all those that stopped being observant, historically, objectively speaking, disappeared. You would be very hard-pressed to find a fourth-generation reform. It's almost nonexistent. What
0: happened to all the Jews that were killed?
1: Here we're discussing, besides Jews that were murdered and killed and pogroms and the Holocaust and... Chalmanitsky, and the Ordo Fays and throughout history, the exiles, the persecution, the destructions. But here we're talking about spiritual death. Those who disconnected themselves from the Jewish people, those who stopped following the Torah and the mitzvot, have all disappeared. One, two, three, four generations, and there is no fifth generation. It's all over.
0: So those, ask, those who assimilate talking who become other religions, right. that's, they're, gone. Uh, they're so, gone.
1: So unfortunately, either, they're tra- either they, will, they will come back. The Torah promises that in today's day and age, every last Jew they will, have a chance will come back. They will They'll have a chance to come back. Mashiach is coming, and the Torah promises Mashiach will come, all the Jews will come back. And you know why? Because all the non-Jews are going to force them to come back. <laughs> the four, the dandies will kick them out. Their guru will tell them, "What are you doing here? Go to Jerusalem. You have the blueprint. You have the Torah. You're you're the Coca Cola. You're the you, you you are it. What are you coming to us to learn spirituality? You're coming to us. I mean, you're making a fool of us, a fool of yourself. What are you doing? You you have it. You're the you're the source. You're the light. You're the <laughs> So the non-Jews are going to kick the Jews out and say, go home. There's nothing like home. What are you looking for in foreign pastors? What What are you looking for? Whatever you're looking for, you're going to find in Judaism plus a thousand times plus. Because the whole world will be elevated and transformed imminently with the coming of Mashiach. But throughout history, those who disconnected themselves have disappeared not just disappeared spiritually, but a physically disappeared God. Every last Jew that's alive today, it's because our ancestors, without any single interruption, through thick and thin, through Holocaust and pogroms, were steadfast and stubborn and stuck to our principles and stuck to our Jewishness and followed the Torah. Because a Jew is a piece of God. A Jew is a piece of the divine name. And we are rooted and connected in the divine name. So th- our connection is through Torah. That's our divine connection. And if we sever that connection, we don't stand the chance.
0: By the fourth generation, they've assimilated.
1: Right. And then there is no fifth generation. There is no fifth generation. I mean, every rule, you have exceptions, or an overwhelming majority, there is no fifth generation. Either... They disappear, or the fifth generation becomes a baltruva, comes home, <laughs> reconnects with a vengeance, comes full circle. They rebel against the rebellion, and they come home. But that's an objective fact, if you look at Jewish history. There is no other program for Jews to be safe and for Jews to survive and to, and to succeed physically in this world it's only, it's commensurate to the health and the vibrancy of our spiritual connection. The more divine, the more godly we are, the more genuine we are, the more Jewish we are, and the more joyful we are in our Jewishness, and the more pride we have in our Jewishness, it, will, it translates into miraculous success. A miraculous survival. The Jewish people's survival is completely miraculous. There's no logical explanation for the miracle of Jewish survival and existence. This is the greatest miracle. All the miracles in the Bible pale in comparison to the miracle of Jewish survival and existence. And there's no logical explanation for this. And the only thing you get the UN to agree on is when it comes to Israel, the Jew of the world. And yet, the Jew never left the front pages of history. We're still here. Where are are the mighty Romans and the mighty Greeks? Long gone, forgotten... You only see them on tv shows or about rome the lost empire of rome or his history books footnotes in history mighty caesars and emperors gone faded and the jew never left the front page of history there's no logical explanation anyone who's objective who looks at it just objectively can help but be in awe and astonishment this phenomenon it's a divine phenomenon and this tells us that there's a divine author, that there's a moral narrative to life. There's, there's a purpose to, to this world. There's a purpose to life. It's not a jungle. This is the biggest slap in the face to all the atheists. This is the biggest proof for God. It's When you see a Jew walking down Park Avenue. It could be even a self-hating Jew. He doesn't even know about his Jewishness. That Jew is a walking murk. Whether he knows it or not, he acknowledges it or not, likes it or not, wants it or not, doesn't change the fact. That this is true. Who's walking down Park Avenue in the year 2012 is a walking miracle. is a testimony to the reality of God. So for a Jew, there's no separation between the divine and our physical well-being. But this is true for the Jewish people as a whole. But he's going to explain in chapter 6, that before the destruction of the temple, this is also true for each individual Jew as well. That every individual Jew, during the times of the Temple, not only in the land of Israel, anywhere in the world, could only receive his sustenance through the spiritual and the godly. And if he sins, and as a result of his sin he has severed that breath of life, and severed the rope, and severed his divine and godly connection, he, it, he, this will translate into physical death, physical self-destruction. He cannot live. He cannot sustain himself. He cannot physically survive. Because a Jew received, during the times of the temple, a Jew received his vitality and his physical health and life from godliness. And therefore, it wasn't the punishment God is paying back. Lightning is going to strike. No. It was a consequence. You couldn't live. You severed your life force. You severed your breath of life. You severed your life force. You disconnected yourself from godliness, from the divine. You have nothing to sustain you. You're running an empty. And therefore, at the age of 50 or the age of 60, you collapsed and died. You had nothing to go on. Physically, there was nothing wrong with you. But since spiritually, you were completely dead inside, if you were dead inside spiritually, you couldn't live physically. And you would die this was a phenomenon unique to the Jewish people
0: when people were dying all over the world at early ages were the Jewish people living
1: longer? No, here, longer? here we're talking about specifically a Jew who sinned these sins which is a very se- severe sins. not all sins very few sins but those few sins that the Torah says if you violate these sins you will die you, you cut yourself off from your life source so it's a very rare. It's not something that was happening right, left, and centered. This was something very rare. A Jew is afraid to touch a sin, even a sinner. But there's some sins I'm just afraid. You know, I'm not going to. I'm not going to touch that. It's too. You know, it's like like putting your hand in the electrical. You know, and, and getting electrocuted. I'm just not going to do that. But for those few who did violate these sins, this was the fact. The fact was that they would die. Either immediately, or, as he said earlier, you are able to sustain yourself till the age of 50 or the age of 60, and then you just collapse and die. As a natural consequence of your sin. Because, and this is a miraculous phenomenon, that you can't divorce the material, the physical, from the spiritual. For a Jew, they go hand in hand. The physical is just an expression of the spiritual. Just a symptom of the spiritual. So, the Jew was so tuned in and so connected that when he became disconnected, there were immediate consequences, physical consequences, that he physically died, he just couldn't live. But all of this changed today with the destruction of the temple. That's what he's going to explain in this chapter. With the destruction of the temple, now we find that a Jew can sin even a sin where the Torah says your life is cut off that spiritually you have cut off your life and yet the person lives past 50 past 60 maybe lives even till 120 and even lives a tranquil life beautiful life prosperous life a successful life. How is that possible? And that's what he's going to explain in this chapter. What changed with the destruction of the temple? Page 1059. So He says, however, all this obtained when Israel was on an elevated plane. When the divine presence dwelt amongst Israel in their Beit HaMiknash. The temple was a symptom of the fact that God dwelled within the Jewish people. And that dwelling was manifest, was open, was obvious in the temple, specifically in the Holy of Holies. So that was a symptom of the fact that God dwelt with the Jewish people. His presence was felt within the Jewish people. His divine vitality, and God's breath of life, was openly and overtly manifest, and felt within the Jewish people. And the Jewish people were so tuned in, and so connected, they were an expression, of this divine energy and vitality, in an open and revealed way. Therefore, then the body, the physical body, every individual Jew, received its vitality, Only through the divine soul. From the innermost source of the life-giving power. Issuing from the infinite one. Through the Tetragrammaton as discussed above. Therefore thus, if the spiritual lifeline emanating from God's name was severed. Every time you do a sin you sever. A different letter, a different connection, a different name of the divine. Therefore, it was impossible for them to continue living. However, as the Altar Rebbe now goes on to say, once they had fallen from that spiritual height, and thereby diverted the flow, of the divine life force from its accustomed course, then even the transgressors can now receive their vitality as freely as do mere creatures. That's what he says now. But then they fell from their estate. And through their actions, brought about the mystic exile of the divine presence. He says, The secret, the secret of the divine exile. The reason why he says he calls it the secret because it's a mystery. How could the, the, the divine energy go into exile? If it's divine, how can we have control over the divine energy? How can we, as a result of our behavior, take this divine energy? and lead it into exile. Just like we cannot affect God, yet God allowed us, gave us, empowered us, gave us the power to exile Him. Through our actions we exile Him. Just like we don't understand how this works with the general divine exile, that the divine presence went into exile with the destruction of the temple. So too we cannot explain this, how it happens on a personal level. How is it possible that through our personal behavior, we take this divine energy, and we exile, and we imprison it, and we torture it. Just like when you take a person to exile. You imprison them, you exile them, you, you subjugate them, and they're confined and locked up in a barren, hostile exile. So too, we take the divine energy. While the temple existed, the divine energy was manifest and revealed, and free. And with the destruction of the temple, we have take this divine energy and we exile it. And now it's in shackles. And it's hidden. And it's concealed. And it's locked up. And it cannot express itself freely. And it's in pain. And it's in anguish. It's torture. This is a mystery. How can a human being take the divine energy and exile it? What power can we possibly have? over How can our behavior and our actions have such an effect? But this is is the power that God gave us. And he gave the Jewish people. The world was very sinful. But as long as the Jewish people were moral and ethical and righteous and Jewish and lived their Jewishness and were proud of their Jewishness and lived and expressed their connection with Hashem in a healthy, wholesome, joyful way. The Divine Presence was manifest openly and overtly and miraculously. Because the Temple, that was the difference between the Temple and the rest of creation. Although God created the whole world, the whole world is created through the Divine Energy. The whole creation is a miracle. But nevertheless, the world is created to work in a natural way. So godliness is hidden and concealed. But with the building of the temple, the temple, the Jews saw open miracles. There were ten miracles. Not one, not two, not three. Ten open and obvious miracles in the temple. You walk into the temple, you saw one miracle after the other. What were the ten miracles? Ten miracles were that the... um, the, uh, a woman never miscarried because of the aroma of the, of the food and the meat and the incense in the temple. Uh, the meat never, never spoiled. Um, they never found any defect in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the barley sacrifice of the omer and in the bread that they would bake every week. And put on the table um, the wind never uh, never blew the smoke that would rise from the altar would go straight up, and the wind never blew the smoke off off its course. Um, the rain never extinguished the flames in, in, the, in the temple in Jerusalem was open it was an open courtyard, and it rains and it snows, it never ever. Never, ever extinguished the flames. Um, The Kohen Gadol, the high priest in Yom Kippur, never became contaminated. You know, never saw an emission that would contaminate him. Um, They would stand stiff. They were packed into the temple. Millions of Jews would come to come to the temple three times a year. Every Jew was obligated to go to the temple. And yet, when they bowed down, when they heard God's name, there was room for everyone to bow down, miraculously. There was no room to stand. they were squished in. It was like sardines. And yet, when it came to bowing down, there was room for everyone. Um, no one ever got hurt. And the ninth thing is, no one ever got hurt. We well, were up to eight. Nine, or eight. The in the middle of Jerusalem. Middle we know where it is, in the Temple Mount, the sure. oh, There was no... Or there was, no one got hurt in the... Um, no snake or scorpion ever bit anyone or hurt anyone in Jerusalem, and uh, no one ever said that Jerusalem is too packed, too many people. Everyone was, was comfortable. Nope. There was no flies in, oh. in, the, in the temple uh, kitchen. It. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah, no flies. So when a Jew all went to the temple...
0: Things around the, temple. the person healthy and alive.
1: Because it, but it was all miraculous, because there was so much meat and blood and uh, so, so much action there. All of these phenomena were miraculous. So, the um, but when a Jew came to the temple, miracles were like natural. Because the temple was a manifestation of the divine. Godliness was open and manifest. And God is not shackled to nature. Nature, like we discussed earlier, is like when the letters are already formed and the letters are rigid. Like the student can only repeat what the teacher says. He's rigid and formed, but the thought behind the speech, you're very flexible. You can use these words. You can say the same. Once you grasp the concept, you master the concept. I can explain the concept in these words. I can use it in a whole different approach. I can say it this way, that way, a hundred different ways because you're more in tune with the inner. With the. So the inner is not rigid. It's not, nothing is rigid. Nature doesn't have to be nature. Abraham could walk through fire and then fire is pleasant. You know, there's no rules in nature are not rigid. And they saw that obvious In an obvious way when they went to the temple. So the temple was a manifestation of the divine, of the God, of the transcendence of Hashem. And this is, was a symptom that the Jewish people were rooted and connected with this divine manifestation, with the infinite, with the, the way God transcends time and space and nature, with the inner. So even when the Jew was living in the physical world and interacted with the physical and interfaced with the physical, but he was, he was living in a different dimension. There was the whole world, the rest of creation. And there was the Jew. And you saw it openly. You went to the temple, you saw it. ten miracles. One, two, three, one after the other. It was a different dimension. They were living in a different reality. than the whole rest of the world. A world where the physical and the material and the spiritual were all, there was only one reality. It was all completely interwined, interconnected. And you couldn't separate one from the other. So, a Jew couldn't separate his physical life. It was impossible to separate his physical life and spiritual. And therefore, it couldn't sustain it. When a Jew sinned, his body rebelled. Like when Adam sinned, he was expelled from the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden spit him out because the Garden of Eden couldn't tolerate sin. So, the Jew, the physical body of the Jew, can't tolerate sin. And when a Jew sinned, the body collapsed, the body died. When he sinned, when the Torah says his life is cut off, when a Jew cut himself off, severed his rope, severed his connection, his divine connection. He may, have been, he may, he may be going to the gym eight hours a day and physically be robust. But he couldn't live because you know, a Jew can't live without that spiritual, that divine, godly sustenance. The body rebelled. The body rejected it. The body says, this is not a life. And the body collapsed. But this was, this was the miraculous phenomenon of the temple when the Jewish people were on a very high level. So today it's not just we don't have a temple. There was a complete downgrade, a collective downgrade. The Shechina, God's presence, went into exile and became completely covered up and concealed and hidden and no longer manifest and no longer obvious and no longer apparent. And therefore, where do we get our sustenance today? And he explains now, he says, the divine presence should be in a state of exile among the forces of unholiness is indeed an inconceivable mystery. As the verse states, Through your sins was your mother banished. What is it, who is he referring to? Who is the mother? Your mother refers to the divine presence, the mother of the children. Also known as Knesset Yisrael, the source of Jewish souls. The level of Malchus of Atzillus. In the context of the letters that constitute the God's name, this corresponds to the final hay, from which proceeds the rope or lifeline to the soul. The final hay, this is God's speech, communication, and this is the connection to the soul and the body. So the mother, which refers to the feminine, the divine presence, the level of Malchus, our source, So your mother was sent into exile, was banished as a result of your sin. And this also explains why the Shekhinah went into exile. Because God is our mother. The Shekhinah is our mother. And therefore the mother goes where the children are. The mother cares about her children. So when we go into exile, God goes into exile together with us. So the divine energy and the divine manifestation becomes completely shrouded and hidden, and darkened, and covered up, and exiled, and banished. And that's what happened. When this temple was destroyed as a result of our sin, the whole world was downgraded. The Shekhinah is no longer manifest. God's presence is no longer felt, is no longer obvious or open and revealed. And therefore, this means that the benevolence flowing forth from the above-mentioned ladder, hey, we continue on page ten, 10 sixty-one, was lowered far down from plane to plane until it became enclosed in the tenth spirit of Noga, till the temple was destroyed. So, although the level of Malchus. Which becomes the source for the lower worlds of creation and formation and action. But nevertheless, the lowest it goes are the ten svirot, the ten divine emanations of the lower worlds. So ultimately, it's still rooted and connected in the ten svirot, which are divine and godly and nullified to its source. But with the destruction of the temple, the Shekhinah went into exile. It became so, it lowered down. It was banished in exile, and now the life force is banished to the level of Noga. Noga is a mixture of good and evil, of ego, of arrogance, that covers up on its life source. Inasmuch as the Klipa called Noiga includes an admixture of, good, of goodness, it is composed of ten corresponding to the ten Svirat of holiness. which transmit the benevolence and vitality through the hosts of heaven and those charged over them. To every living physical being in the world, even to all vegetation. Just like when God created the world. In general, when God created the world, as a result of Adam's sin, before Adam's sin, the whole world, this world was a Garden of Eden. This world received its divine sust- its sustenance directly from the divine. There was no evil. That's why it says that this world was a garden of Eden. God was manifest, God was present. As a result of Adam and Chavah's sin, that energy became banished. That energy now, the world became lowered itself and descended and now received its energy from Noga which is a mixture of good and evil and the good is hidden and concealed within the evil is mixed together with the evil so everything became confused and concealed and hidden so the general life force and life sustenance of everything that exists in the world the trees everything that exists is sustained through the klipa the shell of Noga which is more more evil than good It has a little good in it, but it's all mixed together and confused. But that was true of the rest of the world, but not of the Jew. Till the temple was destroyed, the Jew did not receive his life force and his sustenance, even his physical health and life and existence. He did not receive that life flow and that life energy through klipa. It was not distorted through that shell. It was a direct link, a direct connection. It was an open and obvious connection. Not only the whole world saw that the Jewish people are connected to God. And if you read the Bible, you read the Tanakh, the whole history of the Jew, their ups and downs were identical and commensurate to their relationship to God. Whenever the Jews were connected, they miraculously succeeded. In their wars, in their battles, financially, Times of King Solomon, the whole world was at peace with King Solomon, came to study with wisdom. When the Jewish people were so wealthy, spiritually wealthy, as in the times of King Solomon, they built the first temple, they were on such a high level, the full moon. King Solomon was the 15th leader from from Abraham. He was the Jewish people compared to the moon, he was the full moon. The Jewish people reached their their apex, their highest, their peak, it translated physically that they were, they re- reached such levels of wealth and comfort that the Jewish people have never seen before. It was a symptom. By the Jew, the physical is a symptom of what's going on spiritually. So it was so obvious, if you learn the Tanakh, there's one thread throughout the whole Bible. The more vibrant, the healthier a Jew's relationship to Hashem is, The more they succeeded. Whenever that relationship grew weaker, and they stopped nourishing that relationship and stopped nurturing that relationship, like a person who stops eating, and then the body mind grows the body soul connection grows weaker and weaker and weaker. And so, as the Jewish people grew weaker and weaker spiritually, they fell ill, and they were beset by setbacks and wars and conflicts and disaster and financial ruin, and subjugation, and exile, and destruction. So the whole story, the whole drama of the Jew during the times of the Temple was so obvious that a Jew is so connected that everything that happens to the Jew is explained by that connection. Even his physical well-being and financial well-being. The more moral he is, the more spiritual, the more genuine, the more godly, the more Jewish... Then they will succeed. But this was during the time of the temple.
0: When was the time? of the
1: temple? There were two temples, but the last temple was destroyed 1941 years ago. Was it I destruction? Destruction.
0: 1941 years ago. Yes. And the temple before
1: that? The, this, the second temple lasted was lasted for. Um, 420 years 10 years longer than the first temple and prior to that there was an exile of 70 years so so you can figure it out BCE so 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 no you have to go BCE by the by that count, if uh, nineteen forty one, so it would be around five hundred BCE. Yeah. The second temple was destroyed, and the first temple, the first temple, the first temple lasted four hundred and ten years. It was built in the times of King Solomon, and this was like.
0: And that's the one that was destroyed in five
1: hundred BCE, BC. right? Approximately, and that was during the. Um, that was like 400 years after the Jewish people conquered Canaan and entered into the land of Israel, after they were in the desert, after that a long is period.
0: today is where this all
1: was. Sure, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Since the Jewish people, since Joshua conquered the land of Israel, there's never been an independent, other than a few years, there's never been any independent country in Israel other than Jews, Never. There's no such thing as Palestinian people. There never was a Palestinian people, and there never will be. Israel belongs uniquely, exclusively to the Jewish people. You know, Islam is the kid on the block. Islam is 1,400 years old. When Islam was born 1,400 years ago, the Jewish people already were there already for thousands of years. And we already had two temples and two commonwealths. So you know, as much as they they can try to rewrite history, but it's like a, it's like a mockery. They make a mockery of themselves. As a matter of fact, the Arabs themselves, the Mufti of Jerusalem, their own published works in the 1920s boasted that the Temple Mount this was the place of King Solomon's Temple and then the Second Temple. And now, you know, they they try to rewrite history. Actually, Arafat Yemach uh, Shmaya uh, Vezikrei quoted. Um, Clinton, Bill Clinton. He says, you know, the temple never existed. And Bill Clinton, like, almost fell off his chair. You know, <laughs> this, is, this is what, the, a Nobel Prize winner. He made a shame of the whole Nobel Prize. Um, you know, so it's, it's just a mockery. You can't rewrite history. It's like the Japanese coming to America and saying, there were no Americans here. You know, George Washington was Japanese. Or, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, you only make a mockery of themselves. I mean, it's so... Absurd and foolish and ridiculous. But of course, the Jewish people, Israel has a connection to Jewish people. You know how many times Jerusalem is mentioned in the Quran? You guessed right. A grand total of zero. It's never mentioned once. You know how many times Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible? It's close to a thousand times. The Muslims have no connection to Israel, no connection. I never had any interest in Israel until the Jews came there. <laughs> Now, all of a sudden, they rediscovered Jerusalem. Then it meant nothing to them. So, during the times of the temple, the Jew's physical life was so intertwined with his godly and divine life, you couldn't separate the two. But as a result of the destruction of the temple, with the Shekhinah going into exile, now everything became shrouded. Now you don't see the connection, you don't see the obvious connection. That the more Jewish we are, the more godly we are, the more Torah we learn, the, the more, more mitzvot we do, the more we pray, the more trust and faith and hope, and the more kinder we are, and the, the, the more generous we are, the more we will succeed individually. And if God forbid we sin, it physically pains us. We don't see that connection. A second Lubavitcher Rebbe, once rolled up his arm. And he showed that his arm, even though he was born very healthy, his arm was all shriveled up. He says, this is because of the sins of you know, the young Jews. You know, <laughs> you know, the sins of youth, indiscretion. He says, he physically, he was physically suffering because of sins. But this is a rabbi. But in the times of the Temple, you saw a direct correlation. Take the whole concept of of what we call leprosy. Of course, it's loosely translated as leprosy. What the Torah is speaking about has nothing to do with leprosy. It's a purely spiritual phenomenon. But it only existed during the times of the Temple. When a Jew sinned and he slandered, he would break out, his his skin would become discolored and turn white. But it only happened during the times of the Temple. It was a miraculous phenomenon. Because when they were on such a high level... If they sinned, their body rejected it. Their body responded, their body was allergic to sin. Today we slander, we <laughs> speak. Nothing, no one breaks out and no one turns white and no one. <laughs> There's a disconnect. Why? Because the Shina is an exile. Not that anything changed. This is the profound point he's making here. Nothing changed. The Shekhinah God hasn't changed. Truth hasn't changed. A Jew's relationship and connection to Hashem hasn't changed. The truth is that we are tied up with the Divine, with the spiritual. That's our life source. The Divine breath of life. But we don't see it. We don't perceive it. We don't see the connection. That reality is shrouded and covered up and hidden and concealed. And it seems like a disconnect. I could sin and so what? I can sin and give a lot of money and become a big hero, even though I'm rotten to the core. There's no connection, there's no reality. It's like, a, it's like a, a la-la land. It's like a disconnect. It's like a dream state. Not in the positive sense of a dream state, but, a, you know, it's, it's like there's no, there's no reflection of reality. It, it becomes distorted. Reality has become distorted. Reality has been banished into exile. And we can't see straight. And we can't see the reality. And therefore what we get is an, an illusion. It's called the Klippa. The Klippa distorts the ray, distorts the view. You don't see clearly.
0: So life is, has become an illusion for majority?
1: Yes, we don't see clearly. It is not a reality. A reality that's not connected to God is in a sense an illusion. It's, it's like it, it distorts the view. It distorts the reality. We're not getting a genuine picture of reality. God hasn't changed. The Torah hasn't changed. And the Jew hasn't changed. The Jew is the same Jew. And our soul is a piece of, piece of the divine essence. And our soul has the name of Hashem inside of it. Every, the, as he spelled out in the previous chapters. The, in chapter 4, the, the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He. And we're so bound and so connected like a rope. And we receive the divine breath. That hasn't changed. The rootedness of the Jewish soul hasn't changed. <coughs> still rooted in the it's still rooted in Godness, Which explains why anti-Semitism hasn't changed. Even though externally the Jew has changed so much, but anti-Semitism hasn't changed one iota. It's the same anti-Semitism today, before the temple was destroyed, after the temple was destroyed. That tells us that the Jew really hasn't changed. It's all cosmetics. It's all appearance. It's all an illusion, a distortion of the light, a distortion of the reality. You know, we, we're not getting a true picture of reality. We're getting a distorted sense. So it's coming to us in a very distorted way. But the truth hasn't changed. It's like when you're in exile. The person is the same person. But the person is in exile. He's trapped. He's bound. He's, he's limited. He can't express himself. He's not free. But the person, the core of the person is still there. When God is in exile, it doesn't mean that God has changed. God is there. And the realities of the Jew and his soul and his relationship and connection to God is also there. That doesn't change. What changes is our perception, this distortion. And that's why when a Jew sins today, it is so grave, because since a Jew is rooted in the inner, in the divine and the godly, so when a Jew sins, he's taking this godly energy and he's sending it into exile. The non-Jew is not rooted and not connected in that inner, that divine energy. So when he sins, it, doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't create the same damage. It doesn't create the same consequences. But when a Jew sins, it has tremendous, tremendous consequences. Look. Who, who created communism? They almost destroyed half of the world. <laughs> it, was, it was the Jews. They
0: created
1: communism. Of course. Karl Marx. I mean, well,
0: that's
1: right. when you take that energy, that divine energy, and you distort that divine energy, that's the meaning of exile. It's like you force labor. You take that energy, and now you use it for opposite purposes. So you take that precious energy, that divine and godly energy, and now you use it for all the wrong all the wrong reasons. You create such a, a distortion, such a you infuse the lies with such a burst of energy and such a power. But that's, that's the, the mystery of the divine exile. That we have that power to take the king, to take the divine energy and banish it. And sh- put it in shackles. And it's tragic. And it's painful. But Hashem, like a true gambler, He, put, he plays, plays Russian roulette. He put His fate in our hands. <laughs> he says... I gave you freedom of choice. I'm putting my faith in your hand. If you will live up to the Torah, and you will live like a Jew and do exactly live up to the Torah, you will be blessed. The whole world will be blessed. And if not, I go into exile. And my temple is destroyed. And I go into exile. And that connection now becomes hidden and concealed and shrouded and distorted. And you don't see that connection. And that explains why today a Jew who sins, even the worst sins, can live past 60 and live a healthy life, a robust life, a vibrant life, enjoy his barbecues, enjoy himself. And yet, even though you know that he cut himself off from his people, cut his soul off, and yet he's still sustained. because since that life force, that divine energy, which every Jew has, now passes through the filters and many filters and it passes through the life of Noga, the klipa of Noga, the shell of Noga, if everything is distorted, so you don't see the connection, the connection is now no longer obvious. So you can cut yourself off, and still you, can still you still have that life force and still live. And I'll explain later, not only live, but live a tranquil life, a successful life. You could be smashingly successful, become extremely rich, extremely successful, extremely powerful, extremely famous. Even though you've severed, the Jew has severed himself from his Jewishness, severed himself from the Jewish people, severed himself from his God, severed himself from his Torah. How is it possible? And a Jew severs himself from his... Before the temple was destroyed, it was impossible. It couldn't happen. It was impossible for a Jew to sever himself from his God, from his Torah, from his people, and still be successful and live past 50 and 60. It just couldn't happen. Because he couldn't. The life force came through holiness, came through the Ten Svirot, the divine emanations. And if you cut yourself off, your body rebels. Your body just collapsed and died. Your body just couldn't take it. Your physical life was so obviously connected to the divine and godly, because the Jewish people were at a very high level that's why we had the temple when the temple is destroyed it's a, a symptom that the Jewish people became degraded and they downgraded the Shekhinah and they banished the Shekhinah their mother into exile and now that, that whole life sustenance that whole divine energy now they're seeing it through a Distorted lens and it 's not coming across clear and therefore that divine energy which they have and they retain nothing changed the Jew hasn 't changed but that divine energy now comes through filter after filter after filter and a distorted filter so and the therefore we can still live. Force, okay.
0: the life force is goes in different directions then instead of staying in the one place when the temple was there it was destroyed because the temple you could concentrate on, on the teachings and everything on the temple. But once that was destroyed, the, the focus was no longer there. It was there.
1: And that was a symptom that every, even every individual Jew, during the times of the temple, even an in individual Jew, received their own personal life force also like the temple. It was a direct divine manifestation. They received the life force, yes, through screens and through filters, because the life force has to sustain a human being, a human body in the physical flesh, in this physical world. But nevertheless, with all the screens, it was still connected, it was still an obvious connection. But with the destruction of the temple, that means that the life force became diffused and it's no longer coming through a clear filter. Now it's going through a distorted filter, a distorted lens, which he calls the shell, the klipat Noga that has a lot of evil and negativity and distortion to it. It has a little good to it, but still has a lot of evil and negativity. And therefore, now the life force comes through a distorted screen, a distorted lens. And therefore, there's a distortion of the reality that the life force can now come even when you're disconnected, even when you're severed, you can still be sustained physically and continue your life. Even though the truth is, what kind of life is it? When a Jew's disconnected from God, if you're dead inside, this is not a life. Then you're really dead. But since the life force is coming through a distorted screen, a distorted lens, the charade continues. Yeah, life continues. And it can even continue very happily. But of course, internally you're so dead there's nobody home there's nothing there it's a shell <clears throat> but what does all, all this mean? Ah, what is all this mean? So the Rebbe once commented that God is good and God is merciful so all this means is this is part of Hashem's infinite mercy because as a result of this distortion we got an extra pass. Meaning we have an extra opportunity to do Teshuvah. Before the temple was destroyed, that's it. 50, 60, you drop dead and it was all over, finished. Now that we continue to live, those, even those who sinned, who have the ability to continue to live, God is giving him another chance. You're living more, another 10 years, 20 years, 30, 40 years. You still have an opportunity to get your act together and to reconnect. So in a way, even in this, it's really merciful. There's an opportunity here. Even in this tragedy, there's an opportunity. That since we're physically still alive, as long as we're breathing, as long as we're still alive, we can always come back home.
0: But we don't know what that opportunity is going to lead to.
1: That's up to us. We have the choice. But at least God is giving us that choice. If you die, that's it. Once you die, it's all over. You can no longer repent. It's finished. It's over. Right? You're no longer in the marketplace. Once a person dies, the marketplace is over. Whatever, Whatever baggage you come to heaven... It's all whatever you've acquired, whatever you've accomplished, whatever you've done, that's it. No more opportunities. The marketplace is over. Now you come home. Now you retire. When a person goes to heaven, when you die, time to retire and to see what you've accomplished in this world. And you're living off. You're, you're living off all your savings, everything you've accomplished in this world. That's what you're going to live off in the next world. All the mitzvot, all the good deeds that's the only thing that's the good things that we bring with us it's the only thing we bring with us you don't bring your money you don't bring anything else but as long as you're breathing but once you die it's finished so as long as you're breathing even though you're living off you're living off your fumes you're living off this distortion distorted reality exile everything truth is distorted and reality is distorted and Hashem is trapped so to speak and God is banished and God is in exile and everything is so mixed up but the opportunity that we find in this tragedy is as long as we're breathing we can always choose to come home to reconnect even a Jew sinned and cut himself off totally there's nothing that can stand in the way of Teshuv so that's the advantage that we have in the time of exile that we didn't have we always have to look at the positive side there's always a positive and every negative there's always a positive so that's the goodness. That's the goodness. That's the only goodness.
0: What's
1: the <laughs> <hand>? <laughs> you remind me of the story, you know, yeah. the, <laughs> the doctor's looking the doctor's desperately trying to find the patient. He can't reach him. He says, What do you want first? The good news or bad news? Done with the good news. Good news is you have twenty-four hours left to live. He says, What's the bad news? I've been trying to reach you since yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> So he says, to every living, in the middle of page 1061, to every living physical being in this world, even to all vegetation, as our sages state, there's no blade of grass below that has no spirit above that smites it and commands it to grow. Does the life force of all living beings even a vegetation which expresses its vitality through growth the rise from the clip of Neuge. But that's true of the world and that has always been true of the world since the sin of Adam and Chava. But it wasn't true of the Jewish people. The Jewish people, unlike the rest of the world, as he explained earlier in great length, the Jewish people received the sustenance directly and openly from holiness, from godliness, from the divine, from the spirit. Even our physical life is totally and completely dependent on the spirit. If we sin, we weaken our physical life. If we, if we, if we uh, do mitzvot, we strengthen our, our physical life. This whole spiritual connection is so divine, miraculous, beyond nature. It's completely transcendent. And the whole reality of the temple was a transcendent reality. But this was true before the destruction of the temple. After the destruction of the temple, then the Jew becomes like the rest of the world it receives its vitality through the clipper, through this distortion, through this distorted lens. And that's why when you look at a tree, you don't see godliness. All you see from the amoeba on up, and anything that exists in this world is motivated by one thing, ego. Self-preservation, continue your existence. From the amoeba to every cell to every tree, all you see is a blade of grass, a tree. You don't see the divine creator, you don't look at a tree and say, wow. Let me run to Shul. Look at this miracle. Look at this miracle of creation. You look at a human body, you should be be running running to study Torah. There should have been a thousand people sitting here and studying Torah. No, you look at a human body, a hundred trillion cells, and you say, huh, what, where? You don't see godliness, because it comes from the khalippah. This is the shell, this is the distortion. We should be jumping out of our skin. You look at this world, you look at existence, you look at life, you look at the miracle. You should be jumping out of your skin. It should be pointing your finger. This is what, when God created the world, when Adam was created, the first thing he did, he, he bowed to Hashem and thanked Hashem, because everything in this world, the tree, the fi- everything pointed its finger to Hashem. There was no disconnect. It was such an obvious connection. Everything was just a symptom of the divine creativity. But then came the sin, and as a result of the sin, the whole world was degraded. Downgraded. And now the world became disconnected, covered up, shrouded, hidden, evil, a little good mixed into it, but very confused. And the tree says, I. And everyone says, I, ego, I. I, ego, what I? Where's Hashem? God. No. This was true of the rest of the world. Not for the Jewish people. Until the destruction of the temple. But with the destruction of the temple, the Jew also became downgraded and degraded. And we caused the Shekhinah, the divine energy, which is our life source, the Jew's life source to go into exile as well. Hence, even the sinful and deliberate transgressor of Israel may receive vitality from it, for their bodies and animal souls exactly as other living creatures do. As scripture states in Psalm 49 that there exists a state where a human beings alike are likened and similar to beasts where even the Jew becomes like a beast. Just like a beast receives its life force. ultimately everything in this world is created by God. Everything has a divine spark otherwise it couldn't exist. But that divine spark is hidden and concealed through the klipa through that distorted lens, through that screening that distorts. And when we reach a level where as a result of our sin, the Shekhinah, God's manifestation, goes into exile, then we also start receiving our sustenance just like the animal. That's the ultimate curse. That we are like animals. We are no better than animals. It's all about ego. It's all about I. We don't see the divine connection. We don't see the godly connection. There's like a complete disconnect. And a distortion. Because it's not true. There's a big difference between the rest of creation. The rest of creation was created just like within the person. You have the goal, what you really want, what you really desire. And then you have, in order for you to get to the goal... To accomplish what you want, you need many other things to get there. But that's secondary, that's a means to the end, versus the goal is the end. A person wants money. That's the goal. How do you get to that goal? So you have to work. Not everyone is fortunate to do things that they want to do. And the proof is in the pudding. (laughs) If a person won the lottery, will he still come to work the next day? So are you working because, hey, I have to make a living and I need money and I'll find something that I can do? What's the means and what's the end? The end is, give me money. In order to get there, I have to want and do many other things. But that's called an external desire. I don't really want this. That's not my goal. I'm not interested in this. I'm going to do this because to get what I really want... I have to do A, B, and C. To live comfortably, I'm going to have to work three jobs. And I'm to have to so there's the end and there's the means to the end. There's the real purpose, the real desire, that you really enjoy and want, the goal, the theme. And then you have externally secondary desires that get you to that goal. So God created the whole world, but the whole world is like a prop. God created it, it's secondary. He didn't desire it as an end in itself. What interest does God have in this world? What interest could He possibly have in this world? This world is completely insignificant. The reason why God created the world, His goal, His purpose, is the Torah. That's what God's vision. God had a dream, God had a desire. He had a vision of the Torah. And He gave the Torah to the Jewish people. That's the end, that's the end in itself. His marriage to the Jewish people, that's the end. In order to be able to implement this vision, you need a whole world. You need 7 billion people, you need a stabilized civilization, you need a stable civilization, you need settled countries and settled communities and people should live, live a civilized life and a moral life. But this is all a background, a setting, when you have the proper setting, now God's vision could be fulfilled. And the world is at peace, and people live a moral, ethical the world. is not a jungle, and people live a moral, ethical, and spiritual life, and people have families.
0: So it could be a very different
1: world than what we are oh, now. Oh, absolutely! This world is a complete uh, distortion. The way it is now, the status quo is a complete distortion. Mashiach will be the world will look the way, exactly exactly the way God wanted it to look. That was that's God's vision. Inevitably that vision will be realized. Because that's the only reason God created the world in the first place. And we're seeing now is just it will yeah. be realized? And, and imminently. What we're seeing now is a complete distortion. And the last hurrah of the old order. This this order is collapsing. It that's not working. The purpose the vision that God had, God wanted a civilized world, a world with families, a world with stable world, a moral world, an ethical world, a good world, a kind world, a gentle world, where this all seven billion people are following the seven Noahide laws and are leading civilized lives. And that's that's the purpose. And that's that's this the this, this the background. The stage, once you set up the stage, once you set, now you can celebrate the marriage of the Jew and God, and the Jew can put on the tefillin and do the 630 mitzvot and build a temple and celebrate the transcendent levels of God and God's essence. So the whole universe, the whole world, including the angels, is like comes from God's external will. God desired it in order to fulfill the purpose. So the whole world is rooted in the external will. It's a means to an end. And that's even the beginning of creation, before the sin of the of the fruit. Especially after the sin, now the world became degraded. Now the world became evil, and good and evil became mixed together. And now God sustains it, and like he throws it behind his back. It's like something that you hate. Sometimes you have no choice. You have to give your enemy. You have to sustain him, so you don't even want to look at him. So you just you throw it behind your hair. Take. I don't even want to see your face. I can't stand you. But because you're part of the plan, so here, take some. God hates arrogance. God hates evil. But he tolerates it. He sustains it. Everything comes from God. There's no other reality but God. But he sustains it by throwing it behind. Like, I, can, I, I don't want to look at your face. I hate you with every fiber of my being. And the only reason I'm sustaining you is because you serve a purpose. So Since you serve a purpose to give a person freedom of choice, so I have to sustain you. But, so this comes from the most external of external The whole life force comes from the most external of external things. But then you have the purpose of creation. Why God desired creation in the first place. What God envisioned. And he envisioned the Jew celebrating his marriage to God and his relationship and his connection and and bringing the transcendence of the divine into this world. That's the inner purpose. And that's why a Jew received the sustenance from the inner. From God's breath. And even in the inner aspects. And that remains true even in exile, even after the destruction of the temple. Nothing changes. The only thing that changes is that now that energy is now exiled. It's not obvious. You don't see it, you don't perceive it, you don't realize it. How could the true be the whole purpose of creation? When the Jew is trampled upon, is being crushed, is in exile, with anti-Semitism. So the realities become very hidden and concealed and distorted. And God is in pain. The Shekhimah is in pain. The reality doesn't change. The facts don't change. The core doesn't change. But the energy now flows through these screens and these distortions. And therefore, everything becomes confused and confounded and hidden and concealed and mixed up. And that's why. That's the exile. That's the painful exile. We receive now our life sustenance from the stars. It goes through. It flows through from the the host of heaven and even the angels that are charged over them. And we receive our life sustenance just like the animals. That's the curse of exile. So it's not only we're physically exiled; our physical exile is a symptom of our spiritual exile, that the whole divine energy has been downgraded. Now the energy now flows through these distorted screens and distortions from the klipa, from the shell. And next week we'll learn why that expl- how this explains how the Jew is able to live even though he sin. Even though you've cut yourself off completely and entirely. And not only are you able to to live, but why some Jews are able to live and succeed and thrive in this environment. Live so peacefully. And thrive and succeed in this environment. But with what he explained now, we'll understand why. Not only the Jew actually comes out on top.
0: He's more focused. Huh? He's more focused. Because he doesn't have to concern himself with the things that he moved away from. He's only got the focus going forward to be successful, to make money, to be wealthy, to have a good family. And, but
1: but there's, also, there's also a divine component. Everything with the Jew has a divine component. Even this also has a divine component. and That we'll discuss next week. Okay. Okay. The diviner explanation why... A Jew is so successful, be to be honest. <laughs> this class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available
0: at LessonsInTanya.com.